0: This is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Chris Sims. I'm here in Alberta, where I'm the director. My good friend Franco, he's a federal director. He's holding down the fort for us there in Mordor, also known as Ottawa. So, Franco, <laughs> Franco, you had like nerd Christmas. <laughs> you had budget day. And for folks who have never experienced a budget lockup, it's... um typically hundreds of people into a massive room and you kind of lock up a bunch of stakeholders and you lock up a bunch of journalists and they all get to read the budget together with their calculators and pocket protectors. It's amazing. So (laughs) you you were in there all day and you were going to get into stuff like, you know, taxes, spending, debt, all that jazz. But first, I just need your first impressions. What was the overall sentiment coming out of that
1: budget for you? The Trudeau government doesn't know what saving money means. (laughs) it doesn't know it doesn't doesn't understand
0: the sentence like
1: (laughs) doesn't know doesn't understand does not compute um look before the before the budget you had the finance minister christia freeland saying oh don't worry folks the budget is going to be prudent yeah okay (laughs) okay she even she even said quote uh the government is going to be quote sorry exercising fiscal restraint and quote reducing government spending by more than 15 billion dollars well folks let me just read you some numbers in budget 2023. Okay, in 2022, spending was 470 billion dollars. In 2023, spending will be 491 billion dollars. Spending will then climb to 509 billion, 523 billion, then 538 billion, and then 556 billion dollars uh, by 2027. Does that look like saving to you? (laughs) Look, here's a pro tip for all the politicians in Ottawa. If you increase spending by $85 billion, you're saving money wrong.
0: Yeah, okay, so a little admission here. So math is not my natural strong suit, okay? I I check my numbers like 60 times over because I'm paranoid I've got them wrong. I phone Franco, I get him to check them too. Um, But I make sure that I know if numbers are going up or down. And those numbers sound like they're going up. How can Freeland claim that she's saving $15 billion if the spending is increasing every year by $85 billion in five years? How does that compute? Well, in
1: Ottawa, saving money doesn't mean what it means everywhere else. In Ottawa... <laughs> Saving money means, hey, I just got a new Lamborghini instead of buying that Rolls Royce. That's what saving That's what saving money means here in Ottawa. Now, look, uh, Freeland in the budget said that the government will save money uh, on consultants, on travel, across department budgets, in crown corporations. You know, all that sounds lovely because we certainly do need to find savings there. But hold on a second, because in the budget, it says those savings, 97% of those savings in those areas I just said, 97% of those savings won't happen until at least 2024. Okay. <laughs> now, Simmer, if mm-hmm. you promise to start your diet next year, <laughs> how serious are you about that diet? Right? Not serious, man. I'll, Not- I'll be fatter. Yeah, <laughs> that's just going to yeah. happen. <laughs> Look, we don't have to wait until next year for Trudeau to stop billing taxpayers for a $6,000 per night hotel room. We don't need to wait until next year to stop giving bureaucrats Beef Wellington and and Carpaccio on flights when they're traveling internationally. Um, And look, the government should stop handing bureaucrats hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses right now. Doesn't have to wait until next year. So. A couple things, folks, remember the savings that they're promising, (laughs) the vast majority of those savings that I outlined for you uh, aren't even going to be taking place until at least 2024. But then also the real point to remember is that overall spending is still going up by $85 billion between 2022 and 2027. So the government isn't really saving money.
0: No, it's not at all. And something I want to remind people of, because I'll I'll never forget because I didn't actually know it. When you told me this, I think it was about two years ago, you said uh, they were already spending like crazy pants before the pandemic, before the COVID mess, that they were even spending in one given year. I think you said they spent more than a given year of the Second World War adjusted. Sure for. In- <laughs> and then you said adjusted for inflation and population. I'm like, what? No. So this is a crazy amount of spending. But I think sometimes the numbers get too big and we can miss the specifics. What? exactly are they spending all this
1: extra money on well the big thing is uh corporate welfare you know as i was reading through this budget it it kind of reminded me of that like iconic oprah moment you know like everyone in the audience (laughs) you get a car you get a car you get a car you get a car (laughs) right well (laughs) Yeah, this is like a bad episode of the Oprah show. Instead of a, a car for every member in the audience, there is special taxpayer treatment for every business with green in its name. OK, so um. I was in that budget embargo and uh, one of the reporters went to the mic to talk to one of the government officials who is there to to brief the stakeholders and the members of the media. And I couldn't believe it. I had to do a double take. You know, like when you're at the bar with your buddy and he says something so outrageous that you have to like like (laughs) put down your beer. and (laughs) Time for you to go home. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, we had our time for you to go home moment in budget lockup when the bureaucrat there uh, estimated that some of the special taxpayer treatment, the tax credits for some of these uh, green industries, electricity generation, uh, things of that nature, the carbon capture stuff could total $80 billion dollars Over the decade, 80 billion dollars in special taxpayer treatment for these different types of, uh, you know, businesses with green in their name, essentially over the decade. But hold on a second. There is more corporate welfare. Um, The government is also putting taxpayers on the hook for 15 billion dollars. Through a, a, in a corporate slush fund that they're dubbing the Canada Growth Fund. Now, we don't have that much details of exactly what's going to be happening, but essentially, you have these bureaucrats that couldn't balance the budget of a lemonade stand <laughs> running around playing investment banker with our tax dollars and putting us on the hook for potentially $15 billion. Now, in addition to that, we know that the government is spending a truckload of money giving it to Volkswagen, but the government still won't tell canadian taxpayers just how many billions of dollars it's ponying up for the very large car company and remember this is on top of 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 many many years of corporate welfare, right? Uh, the twelve million dollars the government announced for Loblaw, right? The two hundred ninety sorry, the two hundred ninety five million dollars it announced for the Ford Motor Company, the three hundred seventy two million dollars it announced for Bombardier, the around four hundred million dollars that it announced for the Algoma Steel Company. So this is not the first time we've seen uh, massive amounts of corporate welfare, but some of these announcements in this budget. over a decade in special taxpayer treatment for almost every business with green in its name, $15 billion through that corporate slush fund known as the Canada Growth Fund, the how many billions of dollars for Volkswagen. Like this is serious money we're talking about, folks.
0: We really are. This blows my mind. I've been to a few speaking engagements here in Alberta the last couple of months, and I keep on telling people like exactly your numbers you're saying here on how much they're blowing. And then add to the fact we have unmoney right now. We are a trillion dollars in debt. So when they're saying we're spending this, we're spending that, like I even told folks, if you started counting to a trillion right now, it would take you 30,000 years to count to $1 trillion. That's how much debt we're in. So I'm almost scared to ask you this uh, because I think I know the answer. Are they ever going to balance the budget? Like, For reals, are they looking at the deficit? So here in Alberta, I'd like to believe them. Um, They've said they're taking the deficit. They're taking the debt very seriously. They balanced the budget last time. They're going to start paying down the debt really hard. Um, Very Ralph Klein style as far as their promises go. Federally, are they ever going to balance this budget? Like, When is that going to happen? Any
1: hope that this government will or can balance the budget has vanished it's vanished. I mean, this government has given taxpayers every single reason to believe it will never balance the budget. Um, Look, uh, the deficit in 2023 is expected to be about $40 billion. Now, if that sounds huge, it's because it is huge. And what's so crazy about this is that about five months ago, Freeland announced her mid-year budget update, and the deficit is somehow $10 billion more projected than what she said it was going to be like five months ago. So like, how does, that, how does that even happen, right? And the best that this government is willing to do is essentially say, well, we'll bring the deficit down to $14 billion by 2027. Now, here's what's so crazy about that. I mean, number one, really, that's the best you can do is bring the <laughs> deficit down to $14 billion. Like, that's crazy. But number two, I mentioned that budget update only five or so months ago. They were forecasting a $4.5 billion surplus in 2027. Now they think they're going to have a $14 billion deficit. Isn't that the
0: difference between like
1: $18 billion? They're off by 18? I don't even know. Like it's it's, it's almost (laughs) difficult to even comprehend. It reminds me of the famous Anchorman quote where he comes home and he's like, what talks to his dog? You eat the whole block of cheese. (laughs) You know, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. Well, I am mad and it's impressive how good they are at wasting our money. But look, I think it could even be wishful thinking that they might even get down to 14 billion dollars because this government has proven time and again that it, it it's never met a budget target that it can't miss right remember back in 2015 trudeau said you know he'd run a few modest deficits little itty bitty the,
0: deficits just, i think is what then prime minister just, harper said little itty bitty yeah
1: and then eventually <laughs> balance the budget what in 2019 well he was on he was set to miss that promise by $20 billion even before the pandemic. So look, like I said, I think taxpayers have every reason to believe that this government will never balance the budget.
0: Yeah, that was before the pandemic he was missing this boat, folks, because I remember distinctly chasing him around with fibber. So we have a mascot that might look a lot like an Italian fairy tale about a boy who's a puppet and his nose grows really long when he doesn't tell the truth. And we just went to his events and took pictures with Fibber because if you don't keep your promises here in Taxpayers Federation land, you get a visit from Fibber. Now, this... (sighs) It's hard not to get despondent and depressed over these numbers, but I think we really need to hammer them out. We mentioned the debt a little bit earlier. Can you explain exactly how much debt we're in? Like if we had the, if I had the debt clock parked out front here in Lethbridge and fired it up, what would the number say? And what do the interest payments on that credit card look like?
1: Well, we're actually more than a trillion dollars in debt now. (laughs) Uh, we're it's going to be about uh, a little bit over 1.2 trillion by the end of the year is, is what they're projecting. So can you hear that? Chris, can you hear that sound? It's <laughs> yeah. uh it's, it's a baby crying because she's born today and she's already on the hook for about $30,000 in federal government debt. And, you know, we I make a joke there because if you're not laughing, you're crying mm-hmm. because, look, a lot of people want to leave their kids. Everyone wants to leave their kids or grandkids with a better financial future. Uh, but the government in Ottawa is making that very difficult, right? If you're born today, you're on the hook for $30,000 in federal government debt alone. Now, I said that the debt is it looks like it'll be $1.2 trillion plus by the end of this year. When Prime Minister Justin Trudeau first took power the debt was about 616 billion so from 616 billion to 1.2 trillion dollars um you know that's very 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 close to completely doubling the entire national debt Uh, in less than a decade since Trudeau first took office. And of course, more debt means more money wasted on interest charges. Um, The interest charges will cost each Canadian on average about $1,000 this year. I can't believe I'm going to say this number, Chris, but by 2027, annual interest charges on the federal government credit card will reach $50 billion in 2027.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, And for folks who are so inclined, um, if you want to go through the budget and look at what people call line items. So go through the budget ministries and see how much they spend on each ministry so, you know, things like national defense or parks, that sort of stuff. Um, our interest payments on this debt are higher in many cases than those line items in the budget. Um, OK, so I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to look at the bright side for everyday people. So when we're going to the grocery store and I'm watching them put stuff back or watched I watched one guy yesterday, Franco, he had to split his tiny grocery bill between two credit cards. I'm not kidding. Um, I'm hearing a lot about GST rebates. Can you go into that a little bit? Are we happy to hear about that? To me, if I just think about it, it sounds like you're getting like a tax
1: break. Can you
0: explain it a bit?
1: Well, the government has been touting these grocery rebates. They're essentially GST rebates. And the government is, I guess, by default, acknowledging, hey, surprise, surprise, when you give some people some of their money back, it's uh, it's a good thing. But here's the problem, um, among others. I mean, number one, only about a third of Canadians are gonna be getting this GST rebate, right? So look, I think the, the solution is obvious. Instead of taking a whole bunch of money from people's left pocket and then sprinkling some money back into some people's pockets, just cut out the middlemen, cut out the bureaucracy and cut taxes. Like just cut the GST, right? I mean, look, Freeland somehow overspent her own budget by about $18 billion last year. Why? Why is that significant? Well, each point, each percentage point of a GST brings in about 9 billion dollars for the government. Whoa. Okay? Which means that you could just cut the GST by 2 points for everyone from 5 to 3% if Freeland had just stayed on her own budgeted spending but she didn't do that. And not just that, right? Like let's even it's not even that this re- relief isn't isn't good enough per se, right? But it's that the government is actually Increasing taxes, making yeah. life more expensive. Yeah. We we saw about twelve billion dollars of new attack of new taxes in the budget. You you got things like um, a minimum tax on high earners, uh, tax on share buybacks, tax on dividends uh, received by financial institutions. But the big problem with all of that is that all you hear really from this government is raising taxes. We're not Mm -hmm. hearing about tax relief. And then you get middle class Canadians, everyday Canadians who are getting hammered uh, with the actual tax hikes like the carbon tax, where the carbon tax will cost the average family this year up to $710 even after the rebates. And, you know, the government is talking about this G- this grocery rebate, but when the carbon tax makes it more expensive for farmers to dry grain, to produce food, it costs more for families to buy the food. When the carbon tax drives up the cost for truckers to fuel up their big rigs, it drives up the cost for families to eventually buy that food once it's delivered to the store.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Franco, I really hope at some point these folks start listening um, because I'm just seeing... <laughs> There's such an increasing number of people who are hurting from this. Like I get calls now, I think once a week from people who are saying something like, you know what, I'm working, both of us are working, we still can't make it, I'm actually considering using a food bank for the first time in my life. That's brutal to listen to that. And then to turn around and see this government constantly just blowing more and more money while hiking up taxes on nearly everything. Um, we got a breakthrough. Uh, thank you so much for the work on this. Thank you for going into the budget lockup, folks. Um, if you want to read uh, Franco's analysis of this budget, and I highly recommend you do because it'll make you mad. And then maybe you'll get out there with 10 of your friends and door knock against the MP who's jacking up your taxes in your riding. Go to our show notes, uh, click on them there. And after that, go to our website, taxpayer.com, sign all the petitions that make you the angriest, and we can build our standing army. Thanks, Franco. My good friend and our federal director, Franco Terrazano, went right into the lion's den. That's right. He gave a presentation to a committee on agriculture. About what? Franco getting into farming? No, no, no. Franco gave a massive presentation on how much the carbon tax hurts everyday Canadians. To the folks at the Agriculture Committee, you got to listen to this and you have to stay tuned for the end of it because he starts taking questions from a liberal MP and uh, things get spicy. Take a look.
1: When you increase costs for farmers, Canadians pay more for groceries. When you increase costs for truckers, Canadians pay more for groceries. I'm Franco Terrazano, I'm with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and I'm here on behalf of 235,000 Canadian taxpayers that want you to stop hiking the taxes that make it more expensive for farmers to make our food, for truckers to deliver our food, and for families to buy that food. There's an easy and quick way for the government to make food more affordable. Stop hiking taxes. But in less than two weeks, the government will raise the carbon tax for the fourth time since the beginning of the pandemic. The carbon tax will increase the price of gas by 14 cents per litre and the price of diesel by 17 cents per litre. Everything that gets delivered by truck will become more expensive, including your favourite kale salad. After the tax hike, federal carbon, fuel and sales taxes will cost about 29 cents per litre of diesel. That means the big-rig truck driver that delivers food to the store will pay about 260 bucks in federal taxes every fuel-up. Farmers say the carbon tax will cost them about $14,000 on average, and that was in 2019, according to the CFIB. And a higher carbon tax means it's more expensive for farmers to dry grain, and it means higher prices at the store. The carbon tax on propane and natural gas will cost farmers $1 billion through 2030. That's according to the Parliamentary Budget Officer. Let me read you a quote from Jeff Barlow, an Ontario corn, wheat, and soybean farmer. My competitors to the south of me in the United States do not pay that carbon tax, so now my cost goes up and I have no alternative. By penalizing me, there's nothing else that I can do but just be penalized. Less than a quarter of countries have a national carbon tax. That's according to the World Bank. Ottawa hiked taxes, while many of our peers and competitors cut taxes during the pandemic. 51 other national governments cut taxes. That includes more than half of G7 and G20 countries and includes two thirds of OECD countries. Australia, New Zealand, the Netherlands, Germany, South Korea, the United Kingdom, Italy, Israel, India, and Portugal Are among those countries that cut fuel taxes. Ottawa is getting ready to impose a second carbon tax through fuel regulations this summer. British Columbia currently has a second carbon tax. It costs about 16 cents per liter of gas and 19 cents per liter of diesel. There are no rebates with the second carbon tax. The more you tax, the less money Canadians have to afford higher groceries. And if you think that you can raise taxes, skim some off the top, and still make people better off through rebates, then I have some Ocean View property in Regina to sell you. The carbon tax will cost the average family between $402 and $847 this year, even after the rebates. That's according to the PBO. That could be a couple weeks of groceries for a family four, but it's being taxed away. Lower and middle income Canadians, households currently experiencing energy poverty such as single mothers and seniors living on fixed income will feel the most pain from the second carbon tax and that's according to the government's own analysis. The higher carbon taxes are layered on top of higher payroll and higher alcohol taxes. 74% of Canadians say families pay too much tax according to a recent Leger poll. Now fortunately, you can provide relief for your constituents you can help make life and groceries more affordable. At the very least, you must stop hiking taxes.
2: Thank you. Uh, you were talking about the impact on, on trucking and farmers and those types of things. When that carbon tax is tripled and uh, $150,000 of carbon tax for an average 5,000 acre farm, um, I know you can't definitively say what the impact would be, but uh, to your members, uh, how are they going to manage uh, those
1: additional costs and are they going to have to obviously pass that on to customers? That's a great question. And, you know, it's, it's tough to say just how much pain that's really going to cost, right? Um, but look, everyone knows that farmers aren't just pools of cash that can continue to pay higher taxes after higher taxes after higher taxes. So really only two things can happen. At least some of the costs make their way to the till and hurt families who are struggling to afford the jug of milk or the ground, or the ground beef. Um, or supply goes down. And what happens when we reduce Canadian supply? Prices, of course, go up. But even if we leave the farmers uh, aside for a a quick second, we're also seeing the increased costs of delivering those goods to the store. Carbon tax going up, second carbon tax coming in. So all of this is being layered on top of each other. It's hurting Canadian businesses, but it's also hurting Canadian families. Has uh, has the CTF done anything
2: in terms of, uh, and maybe... um Ian can, or Ian can answer this question as well. On what the increase in, in the carbon tax and transportation, fertilizer inputs, what the impact that is having on, on groceries specifically? Like if, if we see the carbon tax go to that $150,000 uh, or it's tripled,
1: do we have an idea what the impact will be on, on grocery prices? Well, I think the best analysis that has been done is by the government's own independent budget watchdog, the PBO. And it looks at all of the costs from the carbon tax compared to the rebates. And this year alone, the carbon tax will cost the average family between $402 to $847, even after the rebates. That's an annual cost, and it will continue to go up and up and up uh, through 2030.
2: Yeah, like, I have an interesting uh, bill here from one of my uh, – well, actually not my constituent, but somebody else in Alberta. And they're sending me their, their gas cool-up bill and their natural gas uh, was about $2.39 per gigajoule, and the federal carbon surcharge was $2.63 per gigajoule. So actually, they're paying more in the carbon tax uh, than they are
1: for the actual fuel. Uh, Is this a common story that you're hearing for some of your members? Oh, we hear from so many people, uh, especially during the cold winter months, that it's very, very difficult uh, to, to swallow that type of bill, right? Because we're talking about the necessities in life. We're talking about people having to pay more to fuel up their car to go to work. We're talking about people who have to pay more to keep their homes warm during the cold winter months. months. So what's so damaging about the carbon tax is that we are punishing people for the necessities in life.
3: So I was looking, Mr. Terrazano, at the increase in the price in gasoline between 2021 and 2022. In fact, May 21 to May 22. It went up about sixty-one point two percent, 61.2 cents on average across Canada. During that same period, the price on pollution increased by 2.2 cents per liter. That left about 59 cents of increase in the average cost of gasoline across Canada, which seems to me that it's about it's less than you know three percent of the increase of the total price increase. So why is it that you are saying the entire problem lies with the price on pollution, the carbon price on pollution? Oh,
1: it's not the entire problem. You also saw the Bank of Canada print hundreds of billions of dollars right out of thin air. So it's not the only. So it's not the only problem. I mean, look, the whole point no, but, of the carbon excuse, tax. The whole no, point. I, of the carbon excuse tax. me, I'm asking a specific Sorry, question I, about I, the price of Excuse here, uh, Ms. Uh, Mr. Taylor
2: Roy, Mr. It is the member's time. I will certainly allow her to ask a question. There is some natural jostling back and forth, but if the member would like to go in a different line of questioning after you've had an adequate chance to respond, I have to let her do that. Uh, you, so yeah. we will try to make sure that we um, uh, instigate that accordingly. Uh, Ms. Taylor-Roy, I'm going to turn it back to you.
3: In, in fact, when you look at the charts, what made up the increase was crude oil prices and wholesale margins on refining. It wasn't the Bank of Canada printing money. It wasn't the price on pollution. How do you explain that? The whole point of the carbon tax, with respect, Member, is to increase the price
1: of gasoline and, and quite yes, frankly, I do think that media. the government must be patting itself on the back every time it drives by a Shell station and sees high gas prices. Uh, because excuse because me, Mr. Terrazano, but this, you're not Mr. answering Mr. the
3: question once again. I asked you about the, the $0.59 cent increase in the average price of gasoline over that period. Well, 2.2% was due to the price on pollution. 59 cents was due to the increase in crude oil prices and wholesale margins. So why aren't you focusing on that issue when you're talking about the increase in prices?
1: Well, with respect to the member, uh, I think that members of Parliament should should control what they can control. And the number one thing that you can control is how much tax you take away from struggling families, many of whom are, are, are worried about both the price of ground beef with a, pr- a jug of milk, but are also worried about how they're going to fuel up their car on the way to work. And Thank you. I understand your
3: position. Thank you very much. So that... Minimal amount of the increase um, there, but that's interesting to to note.
4: Mr. Terrazzano, if I've understood correctly about the carbon tax, well, I would like to hear you on the following. For states, the idea is to find a, a balance between not creating inflation uh, with this tax where there is no other alternative and uh, pollution. We have a C-234, a bill that is going to the House soon, and it will give even more exemptions for the uh, agriculture industry. What do you think of this bill? do you think that it will fix part of the problem that you've identified
1: very supportive yes thank you member very supportive um, I mentioned a parliamentary budget officer report that noted that the carbon tax on propane and natural gas will cost about farmers 1 billion dollars through 2030 I think that is a, a very good step in the right direction to help provide some relief uh, at a very uh, at a very important time
4: you understand the challenge of trying to be balanced and putting in implementing uh, policies to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. If there is no action taken to protect the climate, well then in few decades uh, global warming will be amplified and then we will have more uh, changes. Do you think it's possible for the government to take certain uh, uh, measures in order to ensure that there is not as much impact on on climate change, for example, but still um, um, but still, have a, uh, make some changes on with regards to policy.
1: Well, thank you for the question. So, I, I understand that everyone in this room really cares about the environment, and uh, including our panel members who are not in this room. We heard the Saskatchewan panel member who represents the ag industry there talk about how farmers really care about the environment and how they want to continue to innovate and invest in technology to help the environment. But I just don't think hammering farmers with thousands of dollars of higher taxes is really a good way to help the environment. I, I also heard, if I, you know, if we take more money away from farmers who are just trying to survive and put food on our table, then they have less money to reinvest in their operations and new capital. I, I know your position on carbon
5: pricing. I think that's that's no secret to anyone who's who's read um, your your briefs on this. But you know he was presenting data that showed you know oil and gas extraction since 2019 has seen their net profits go up by over a thousand percent. Petroleum refining has seen their profits since 2019 go up by 40 percent. Now I understand your position on carbon pricing, but uh, do you not think it's a bit of a disservice to Canadians if you're only focusing on carbon pricing but not Talking about how those other net profit, those massive increases are also affecting our farmers and affecting what families are paying at the pump is, do you not owe it to Canadians to to maybe broaden your narrative to talk a little bit more wholeheartedly about some of those other factors, how they're causing families a lot of pain at the pump and at the grocery store?
1: Well, I guess my question to, to properly answer yours is, well, what would you be recommending? Uh, Because when I hear that type of questioning, the first thing that comes to mind is a new tax. But I have never heard of a new tax that will make groceries more affordable. In fact, tax increases make everything more expensive. So so I'm very uh, concerned whenever I hear that type of questioning. Of course, I, I've uh, spoken to the person that you mentioned before. Um, so we reject a tax hike. Uh, we, we categorically reject tax hikes. We don't see the problem today as Canadians okay, not let paying let enough me, tax. Let me hold you there. Uh, so on
5: that point. Okay, so you're, you're not... Not in favor of us uh, going after large profitable corporations, fine. Does the Canadian Taxpayers Federation have any position on the fact that in 2021, uh, you know, corporations uh, paid 31 billion dollars less in tax than they should have? And do you not have any opinion on how that gap in revenue? is passed down to working families, forcing them to shoulder more of the burden.
1: Well, to that I would answer, uh, the number one thing you have to stop doing is stop handing big corporations big buckets of cash, right? Stop the corporate welfare, because what we have seen, unfortunately, especially throughout the pandemic, taxes raised on families who can't afford it, who may have lost their job, took pay cuts, maybe even lost their small business. Now you have families who are struggling to afford the price of groceries, and we continue to see taxes go up, and more announcements of the government handing buckets of cash to big corporations. We are categorically against that corporate. For welfare,
5: Yeah, no, I corporate welfare, I'm glad that we can uh, agree on that point. I, I, I think um, that's a good point to, to end this line of questioning on, so I appreciate that.
4: With regards to the tax, or the carbon tax, and C-234, Mr. Terrizano, you support this bill. We've been told especially for Quebec, that it wasn't applicable. On the contrary, I do think that there is a direct impact because we already have a taxation system in Quebec, but when we add products like propane or natural gas, there is an overtax that is added. Do you think that Quebec will lose because they will be doubly
1: taxed? support the piece of legislation that would remove the carbon tax on uh, on farm propane and natural gas. Uh, specifically about your, your question to Quebec, I'm, I'm not sure I have a great answer for you today, but I'm happy uh, for us to follow up and, and to discuss that. I do know that the fuel taxes in Quebec are, are particularly harmful though. I'm here with our investigative journalist mr ryan thorpe ryan <laughs> the mystery is finally solved of who it was in the government who stayed in that fancy luxurious thick six thousand dollar per night hotel room during the queen's funeral in london england last fall why don't you update our supporters on what we know now yeah for
6: sure franco so i gotta admit i think deep down most canadians kind of already knew the truth on this one And the answer is that it was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He's the one who stayed in the River Suite, the $6,000 per night hotel room at the Corinthian Hotel. Yes, surprise, (laughs) surprise. And it took Trudeau until March 23rd to fess up. And the only reason he told the truth on this is because the CTF, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, filed a legal challenge to force the government to be honest with Canadians. And knowing he was going to lose, Trudeau tried to bury the story in a bad news dump when US President Joe Biden came to Ottawa late last month. So now that the government's attempt to hide the truth from Canadians has failed, we can report that Justin Trudeau billed taxpayers for a five-night stay in the $6,000 a night luxury suite that features a marble bathroom and butler service, and all told, it cost Canadian taxpayers more than $30,000.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never had to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out this mystery, right? Especially when the Governor General, Mary Simon, was like, no, wasn't me, folks. Ease up. Wasn't me. It was pretty clear who it was. But here's the thing, right? This happened last fall. It took them all the way until March to finally come clean with taxpayers and the reason he did as ryan said is because the ctf launched a legal challenge and we were able to do that because of our supporters you listening to this who took action who were not going to let these bureaucrats off the hook who were trying to withhold information from you so ryan why don't you kind of like go back through the nitty-gritty of what really happened of the ctfs legal challenge that forced trudeau to come clean with taxpayers
6: For sure, yeah. So as you mentioned, this began last fall when Canada sent a delegation to Queen Elizabeth II's state funeral in London, and that was in September. So soon after, the Toronto Sun uh, did some great digging on this, and they broke the news that the trip had cost taxpayers about $400,000 in hotel costs alone, and that included this five-night stay in the River Suite. But the government and the prime minister's office refused to say who it was that had billed taxpayers for this. And political staffers in Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie's office even went so far as to instruct bureaucrats not to respond to media requests. So that's why the CTF filed an access to information request, seeking the truth. Uh, But before releasing the records to us, the government redacted Trudeau's name. So the CTF then filed a complaint with the Office of the Information Commissioner and launched a legal challenge seeking to compel the government, to be honest with Canadians. And I think what happened here is obvious. Trudeau and the government knew the CTF wasn't going to go away and that ultimately they didn't have a leg to stand on in court. So they leaked the answer to the press on March 23rd, just as Biden came to town. And uh, you know, as a former Canadian newspaper reporter, I can tell you that this is what we call a bad news dump, and this this was a textbook example of it. Um, so Trudeau hoped that having Biden in town would distract from the fact that he billed Canadian taxpayers—you know, many of whom are struggling just to keep their heads above water right now—he billed them tens of thousands of dollars for a luxury hotel suite.
1: Like everyone listening, I really need to stress like just how important it was for our supporters to take action because the government was trying to violate a very important principle of transparency. And that principle is, look, if you spend our money. You're using taxpayers' money. You have to come clean with taxpayers on how it was spent. They're trying to avoid this clear principle of transparency. Bureaucrats were trying to withhold information, bend the rules, and our CTF supporters took action. We launched that legal challenge, and Trudeau knew he was going to lose in court eventually, so he had to leak the story. He had to get it out there, so he tried to bury it, but it was all because— Of our ctf supporters taking action now ryan you know the the latest uh claim of the day from the trudeau government from the prime minister's office is well six thousand dollars per night in a hotel room we had to spend that money uh because security costs (laughs) what do you say about that
6: yeah so this is this is the latest line from the pmo um that it's been taking to try and defend itself but i've got to be honest that argument doesn't really pass scrutiny um so there's a couple of things here First things, six thousand dollars a night is is quite expensive for a hotel, and I can guarantee you that most Canadian taxpayers have never stayed anywhere that fancy or that cost that much.
1: Hold on, um, Ryan, did you say quite <laughs> expensive? <laughs> is that not the understatement of the decade?
6: Yeah, I might have undersold that one a little bit. It's very expensive, and it's worth you know, it's worth pointing out that other members of the Canadian delegation, which includes Governor General Mary Simon, there was two past Governor Generals, four ex-Prime Ministers, they were all put up, you know, at very classy, but less costly digs. Um, Other five-star hotels in the area, including the Four Seasons and the Shangri-La, all had rooms available for significantly less money. Um, So no one here is suggesting that the PM had to stay at the Motel 6 out by the airport. There There was other options. But now the PMO is blaming the RCMP and saying, um, you know, we needed multi rooms in the suite to address security concerns. And that's why they had to go with this $6,000 per night room. Uh, But the follow-up question is obvious, right? So if that were true, why did the government go to such great lengths to hide the truth from Canadians for so long, right? Why wouldn't Trudeau have just come out and said it was because of security costs right away and immediately put this story to bed five months ago?
1: Yeah. And that's not what happened. Right. Uh, They essentially stonewalled the press. They didn't give the press any answers like this. That's for sure. Um, And then what? During question period, they dodged all these different types of questions. I'm like thinking of dodgeball in my head right now. Um, And then and then not just that. Right. There was reports of political staffers telling bureaucrats, to not give uh, the, the full extent of the story to the public, right? And then not just that, once we filed our access to information requests, the response, they wrote down Justin Trudeau's name and then they blacked it out. So if this was truly about security costs, you know, uh, you know, Ryan, uh, you and me, we've, we've never been a prime minister before. We've never worked as a staffer to a prime minister. But, you know, let's just use some simple logic here. If it really were for security costs and it was that easy to make the story go away, why wouldn't you just be honest and upfront right away rather than giving the story legs because you weren't fessing up so ryan i do want to shift gears uh slightly here though i know you've been talking to some of the experts that really know the access to information laws in canada really well so what have they been telling you uh with respect to this story
6: yeah that's right so last week i spoke to several uh, access to information experts because i was just curious what they thought of the ctfs court challenge uh, and also, what the government had done in response to it. So, access to information laws in Canada are pretty simple. If the government has a document, a citizen can request it, and the government is legally obligated to release it unless there's a specific exemption in the legislation to justify withholding it. So, they have to have a good reason. And when they blacked out Trudeau's name, the government pointed to two sections, sixteen two and nineteen one, of the Access to Information Act. And those clauses relate to security, as we were discussing, and personal information. So the security claim made no sense. Like this was an event that had happened months earlier. So unless someone was going to travel back in time, you know, Trudeau wasn't under any sort of ongoing security threats. And the personal information clause didn't make much sense either because we were talking about a public official who was spending public money. And that's not a private matter. That's a matter of public interest. So I spoke with Michel Drapeau who's a lawyer and a leading expert on access to information in Canada. And he said that this is something the government does often, right? They point to Section 19, citing personal information when refusing to disclose a record. That forces citizens or organizations like the Canadian Taxpayers Federation to then file a complaint with the Office of the Information Commissioner, which usually takes about two years to resolve. So basically, if the government doesn't want to release a record, they can always just make a bogus Section 19 claim like they did in this case, and then kick down kick the can down the road for a couple of years. And and that's a problem because if a piece of information becomes stale, it, it becomes less damaging to the government.
1: Yeah, you know, that security claim was always just absolutely bogus, <laughs> like never passed the sniff test, right? This uh, they were staying in the hotel like months and months and months and months before. <laughs> so like, unless you're worried that the Terminator is going to go back in time, uh, unless you're worried about that, then I'm pretty sure uh, we can be safe and release the information to taxpayers. Uh, let's stay on this line of, of of reasoning, though, for a quick second, because I want to hear from you what those experts were saying about Canada's access to information system, more broadly?
6: Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is it's broken. Um, So Mm -hmm. since 2015, since Trudeau came into office, the number of complaints filed annually to the Office of the Information Commissioner has skyrocketed. In 2015, the OIC received 2,036 complaints. By 2021, that number had jumped to 6,945. So that's an increase of 241% which means that more and more Canadians are pushing back against lengthy delays, heavy-handed redactions, and the refusal to release records. Um, And in 2015, Trudeau promised sweeping reforms to Canada's access to information regime. And to date, none of those campaign promises have been kept. Uh, And when the government's long-awaited multi-year review of the access to information system finally wrapped up last fall... The final report contained not a single recommendation for reform, not even one. Um, And and why does this matter? Because access to information is how groups like the CTF and and citizens, Canadians more broadly, that's how we hold government accountable. It's how we get information on what the government is up to and how it's spending our money. And and the fact that Canada's access to information system is broken benefits politicians and it, it hurts the public. And that's why, despite all of these promises, Uh, from Trudeau for various reforms, you know, there hasn't been. It's been little to nothing on that front.
1: Yeah. And, and hey, uh, everyone listening, like I really can't stress this, stress this enough. Like this is a big win for taxpayers. It's a very important principle of transparency that politicians need to know when they may waste your money, they're going to be held accountable and, and they're going to have to look you in the eye and explain to you why they wasted the money. So this is a very important uh, victory for transparency. And folks, like make no mistake about it. I, I just want to thank you guys for for taking action out there. If it weren't for you and your support of the CTF, um, then we wouldn't have been able to launch that legal challenge and there is no way that Trudeau would have fessed up Unless he because other than the only reason I'm sorry is because you guys forced him. We launched a legal challenge. He knew he was going to lose in court and be required to make it public. So he eventually did fess up and try to bury the story when President Biden was coming to town. And and again, I just want to pump your tires, all you listeners and watchers out there, because if it wasn't for your action, uh, we still wouldn't know for sure who stayed in that room.